Our reading this morning comes from Psalm 13, a Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Congregation, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Phil. Well, as I was uh, preparing this week uh, and began writing my sermon, uh, it was just at the time the Novak Djokovic saga, shall we call it, uh, was unfolding, still to unfold completely, I suppose. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in the precise details of what's going on there. But it did make me uh, think, and you'll see why in a second, of this passage, because it, it occurred to me that there's Novak, poor old uh, millionaire Novak, uh, in a hospital, uh, sorry, in a uh, hotel room, which is probably nowhere near the standard that he normally uh, is able to afford himself. Uh, and he's probably a little miffed and angry and feeling to some degree helpless because he is at the mercy of the Australian authorities with whom I suspect he strongly disagrees. And so uh, there he is, hoping, waiting, but powerless in, in many ways to get the result he wants and so therefore angry. And there's a t there are times, and, and I think this psalm talks about this, when in life we can feel powerless and angry or perhaps not angry, but depressed, down, frustrated. Because the cause of our lives are going, are going badly. There's tragedy and suffering. Now, in one sense, as followers of Jesus, we have great comfort in Jesus uh, because we know of God's love and His care for us. And yet I think there's a sense in which for us as Christians there can be an extra layer of difficulty because there can be circumstances, can't there, where we, where we know, we're aware of the truths about God, that He is sovereign in control of all things, that He is loving and yet when we look at our circumstances, they don't seem to match that. There seems to be a great disconnect between the, the, the truths that we have been taught about God and the circumstances of our lives and that creates a wrestle that perhaps others who just think, well, I guess this is what happens in life, don't have to deal with. And so we can become frustrated and angry and resentful at God in much the same way Djokovic perhaps is with the authorities of Australia. Now, I'm not sure that we often admit that perhaps to ourselves or to each other. We have found ourselves in a Christian context where one must be 100% for Jesus, full of joy, full of confidence, full of praise at all moments, always 
rejoicing, which is what Paul says for us to do. And yet, if you were to go into the Psalms and read through, you don't have to read for very long to realise that this kind of Psalm, the Psalm 13, indeed Psalm 12 is similar, is, uh, that is, Psalms of lament, Psalms of crying out to God, Psalms of frustration of God, they're, they're very common. Indeed, for those who'd like to try and categorise all the different Psalms, the biggest group of Psalms are Psalms like this. Because, as much as we want to praise God, and He deserves that at all times, as we saw last week, the reality of living in a fallen world and with our uh, small understanding of things means that there will be times when we become distressed, feel abandoned, perhaps even get angry at God. And so this psalm helps us to work through that, to think about that and to process that together and that's what we want to do today. Uh, the psalm is in three parts, you perhaps notice that as Phil read through it for us. Uh, interestingly, the longest part is that first part, the part about, of the complaint, the rant, if you like, it's almost as though uh, at that point, and as David writes that bit, uh, his, his emotions are high, he's got a lot to say and then as he goes through the second section where he prays, talks to God, that's shorter and then the final section where he expresses his trust in God is the shortest. He, he, you can see him cooling, it seems, as he goes on. Uh, we don't know the particular circumstances that caused David to write this psalm but that is a blessing for us because it means... Uh, we don't see these verses as tied to a particular set of circumstances, but to the general walk of the life with God. Well, what is David's complaint? Four times he cries out in the first few verses, How long? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And it seems like there's a sort of oblique reference here to the blessing that you might be familiar with that was set over the people of Israel on command from God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. See, this was the blessing that, that was set over the people time and again by the priests. Note, just by the way, you won't find anything like this kind of blessing in the New Testament. At no point does even Paul or Peter or anyone like that declare a blessing, they pray for one, may God do this or that. But uh, th this was an Old Testament thing. Nevertheless, David seems to be saying here, if you, you look again at verse 1, you've forgotten me, you've hidden your face from me, you've not turned your face toward me and be gracious to me, you've not given me peace, you've forgotten me, you've forgotten all about me, God. That sounds quite rude, doesn't it? How long, God, are you going to treat me like this? You can imagine a child coming to their parent. Uh, you said you were going to make dinner. How long do I have to wait for dinner? What's going on? Well, you can imagine that parent might say, well, there's the kitchen. Suit yourself. Nevertheless, this is here, this is David's complaint to God. You're not treating me as you said you would. He goes on in verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day? 
and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Uh, I don't want to focus too much on the enemy. There's a bit here and there's a bit down in verse 4 uh, on enemies. We're not sure what enemies David has. If you look, read through his life, you'll see that he had enemies at a number of points. Uh, and I think our experience isn't often that our suffering comes from an enemy. Uh, we do have an enemy, uh, at least one. Uh, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So it can be that we have an enemy and these those parts of this psalm make more sense for us but in general I think uh, our suffering is not from direct attack and so I'll sort of leave the enemy stuff aside but if we look at verse 3 I think there's a familiar experience there uh, sorry verse 2 how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart I, have you had that experience when you're in distress and you're lying in your bed at night desperately attempting to sleep and yet the four, same four or five thoughts go over and over and over and over through your mind how could this happen to me why did God let this happen to me what did I do wrong well maybe I could do x y and z to try and solve this problem maybe I should do what did I say there how can this happen to me why did this go why is God let, and you, you just go over and over and over and you sift through every little detail every possible way out every Every uncertainty about God and His love and how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day have sorrow in my heart it's interesting that uh, David seems to be accusing <laughs> God of this when it's largely his fault nevertheless this is his experience Have you been there? Perhaps even now you're there. You're struggle, uh, struggling to listen because your mind is going 100 miles an hour as you process all of the thoughts over and over again in your mind. You've been frustrated and angry at God. Feels like He doesn't love you. He's let you down. He, he doesn't care for you. And it is His fault because He's sovereign after all. And, and who else is to blame? It's not your fault. Now, at this point, of course, we could come in with the theological realities of God's love and etc., etc., but, that, but you understand that that's not the problem here. Indeed, they are causing, they are partly the cause of the problem because the person knows all about the love of God and the strength. And, and the problem is that that doesn't marry with the circumstances of their life. And so simply telling someone the truth won't necessarily help them feel any better. The reality is they feel that God has abandoned them. Now, on another day, when the weather is calm, if you like, there's a time for that, of course. But this psalm shows us that when we feel that way, the first thing we ought to do is actually go to God with those frustrations, those uncertainties, and that anger, and that sadness, and that depression, and say to God, God, this is how I feel. Now, it may seem disrespectful to do that, but what's the alternative? The alternative is to say nothing at all to Him. to perhaps pretend it's not happening, to just quash it down and say, well, no, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, uh, everything, uh, I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, even though inside, somewhere, you're churning away, uncertain and anxious and, 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 and angry, and it's eating away at you from the inside out. It's a, it's a dam fit to burst. Alternatively, you might say nothing to God, but, but, you, but you just process it openly and you dwell and you, and you 
fester in your, your anger at God and your doubts about God and you, and you find people who you can talk to who feel similarly aggrieved by God and you just wallow in it. But you don't say anything to God. No, in a way there is disrespect toward God here and when we express our feelings toward God because we're, our feelings are corrupted by sin and our minds clouded by our small view of the world, yeah, of course we might say something wrong and we should repent of that at some stage. But better to say, to speak to God than to not. Better to speak to God than to remain silent. Indeed, there's another psalm, David says, I, when, while I remain silent, my, I wasted away. And so the psalm shows us, indeed encourages us, that when we have these feelings toward God, that we come and we express them to Him. Now, if that's the case, that has, I think, implications for the way we interact with each other as well. We ought to be able to come to each other, not in replacement of God, but alongside of God, and, and be honest with each other about our walk with God. I think we're happy generally, aren't we, to say to people, oh, look, uh, I've lost my job, please pray for me. I, I'm sick, please pray for me. Uh, you know, physical things, we're, we're, we're open and honest about that, but uh, we're not so honest. Uh, I'm feeling really angry at God. <laughs> please pray for me. I've taken such a knock, I'm starting to doubt God. Please pray for me. I'm full of sadness and sorrow. I don't know what God is doing in my life. Please pray for me. And we ought to be able to listen to such a person, to hear their sorrow and their feelings of abandonment and frustration, doubt and uncertainty. We ought to listen and not jump in with quick answers. We ought to be able to if when we listen to them and they tell us of their circumstances of their life and we look at the realities of God and we say, well, I don't understand either, we ought to be able to lament along with them, not to drag each other down, but to go to God and say, look, we don't understand this. What are you doing? It should be clear that we don't have to be people who pretend to be perpetually joyful, full of hope and basking in God's love. Yeah, of course, if you are, I'm not saying, don't mishear me, I'm not saying it's more virtuous to be wrestling all the time. There's this thing in our culture where it's, it's, to be unsettled is, is kind of cool. Um, I'm not saying that. If, you, if you're full of confidence in the face of desperate circumstances, then that's great. Encourage others with that. But if you're not, as David, a man after God's own heart, was not, then we ought to be able to express that to each other as well and find comfort and encouragement from one another as well. Before I get on to where we should go with that, where David goes with his hurt and uncertainty and so on, it's worth, I think, just noting that different people uh, will experience this in different ways because we have different temperaments. Some of us are more given to melancholy, uh, to, to pessimism, if you like, to seeing uh, every, every uh, silver lining has a cloud, uh, if you like. Others of you are extreme optimists. You, you always see the best in everything. 
And of course, the person prone to melancholy will more likely fall into this sense of despair. And it's worth knowing where you fall on that spectrum so that if you're sliding into despair and you, you tend to be melancholic, that you seek to, to, to break that before you get all the way down. But it's also worth um, considering if you're a, a perpetual optimist that your comments of, ah, oh, just get over it, everything's good, are perhaps not always that, that helpful. Indeed, um, I think it seems to me that we, the, the, we melancholics need the optimist sometimes to encourage us to, to look beyond ourselves, but also the, the optimists need the melancholic people to sometimes face the problems that they'd rather not have to think about. Uh, indeed, God has made us all different for the body to work together for his glory. It's also worth noting, I think, that we can sometimes find ourselves in this kind of situation uh, not simply because of spiritual issues, but because we haven't been looking after ourselves or because, we're, because we've been unable to look after ourselves. Perhaps you're not getting enough sleep because you've just had a new baby, you've not been eating well, you've not been exercising, you've been stuck inside, uh, locked down at home perhaps. <laughs> uh, and they, all of those things affect our mental state and, and our bodies because our, our minds are not floating around separate from our bodies. We're, we're one. Our, bodies and, our body affects our mind and our mind affects our bodies. We're, we're one holistic being and so we can sometimes find ourselves in these situations simply because we're not looking after ourselves. And it's worth uh, considering that as well, alongside of the spiritual solution that we now turn to in verse 3 and 4. For what does David do? He speaks to God. He's spoken his complaint to God, but now he makes a request to God. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Notice that David doesn't here ask for a solution to the problem. He doesn't say, fix this. He asks, first of all, for God to look on him and answer him. In other words, the very thing that David thinks God is not doing, turning his face toward David, David asks God to do. Again, that might seem rude. It's quite forward, isn't it? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. That's, that's quite forward. And that's precisely what we should do when we are distressed. God, I feel like you're ignoring me. Don't ignore me. God, I feel like... Uh, you've abandoned me. God, I feel like these circumstances are unjust. Please show me justice and kindness. I feel like you don't love me. Show love to me, God. It, it's good for us to ask precisely what it feels like God is not doing that we, th we think he has said he will do. In part, simply because that's what we need and it expresses submission to God by, by asking for it. it. It's a way of admitting, God, I, I recognize that this is what I truly need. But notice the other thing that he asks. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. It is possible, of course, for someone to be so sorrowful that they, they die of sorrow. But David asks that God give light to his eyes. That is, David is asking that he see the world more clearly from a new perspective. He's asking that God make it plain to him that though 
in the midst of his circumstances, he has come to doubt the love and care of God, that that's actually still there. Help me to see, God, that you still love me. Help me to feel that you still love me and that you are for me and that you are not against me. In asking that, David doesn't necessarily anticipate that he will understand fully why God has allowed him to go through these circumstances because there are times when we simply cannot. I, uh, I came in uh, on New Year's Eve to my bedroom to discover my small dog on the bed in front of an open box of Maltesers. She was delighted. He was very happy. Uh, I was not so happy and I didn't really know how many she'd eaten. Nevertheless, uh, 10 minutes later when I got her lead and her harness down and I put them on her, she was again very excited. We're going for a walk, she thought to herself. Fantastic. She was again very excited when I put her in the car. She loves going in the car and we got to a new place she'd never been before. I got to meet some new people she'd never seen before. She loves meeting people. All very, very exciting. 10 minutes later, she wasn't so excited because, of course, the vet had had to induce vomiting to get all of that chocolate out of her, and there was quite a bit of chocolate. The vet kindly showed me how much chocolate she'd eaten. Uh, and then she didn't want to know the new people. In fact, I don't think she was all that happy with me. But here's the thing. I can't explain to her why I had to do that. It saved her life, probably. But I can't explain that to her. She'll never understand why I had to make her vomit or I had to take her somewhere where she had to vomit. Why I ruined the most fun day she'd had in ages. She can't understand that. I can show her my love, still, and reassure her that I care for her, but she'll never understand. And so it is, friends, with God. His thoughts are so far above our thoughts. There are things that we shall never understand and can never understand. At least this side of heaven we can't. Now, he can continue to assure us and demonstrate to us his love. But when we ask for light for our eyes... We ought not expect that he will explain everything that's happened to us, but perhaps just assure us that he still cares. And that's precisely, it seems, what David receives, because in verse 5 and 6 he says this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. What a turnaround. How long, Lord, Will you forget me forever? But I trust in your unfailing love. How does David make this switch? Well, we're not really told. We assume, it would seem, that God, as he gives light to David's eyes, David starts to recall the good things that God has done. Because he says in verse 6, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. You see, he's remembered. Somewhere between verse uh, 1 and verse 5, he's started to remember the good that God has done. Perhaps he recalls of Israel's salvation out of Egypt 
and then the giving of the promised land. Perhaps he recalls the day he was unable to defeat Goliath and save God's people. There were many other things that David could recall, ways that God had blessed him and been with him and shown love to him. And though we may not be able to do it in the midst of trouble, if we were to find you on a day when there wasn't trouble, when you were in a clear state of mind, and I said to you, well, can you list for me all the good things that God has done? The list, I imagine, will be quite, quite long. The way he's answered prayers, sometimes with a yes and given you what you wanted, and other times with a no, as I was talking to Case between the services. Sometimes the God's kindest answer is wait, or no, I'm going to give you this thing instead. And you're amazed at his kindness and generosity and wisdom for the ways he's shown love to you and all your loved ones, for the way you've been able to delight in him as you praised him along with God's people. It would be a long list. And I hope at the top of that list would be Jesus. Jesus who stepped into this world and who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For you see, for Jesus, God did actually turn his face from him. He was abandoned. And he was abandoned for you and for me. He willingly suffered for us so that he could pay the penalty for our sin, for our re rebellion and rejection of God, for our anger at God and our doubting of God and many other things beside. He was cut off so that we never need to be cut off. He, God's face turned from him so that God's face never need turn from us. And now he promises to walk with us every moment of the day. Indeed, he gives us his spirit so that we not only are rescued from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin as we become more like him. He was cut off so that we might not ever be cut off and live forever with God and be rescued from the presence of sin. And so, friends, when we ask God, turn your face to us, look on us, answer, we remember that Jesus wasn't answered so that we could be answered. When we feel unloved, we remember that Jesus loved us to the bitter end. When we feel angry at God, we can remember that God's wrath, God's anger, his righteous anger at our sin fell on Jesus so that only his love falls on us. And in the haze of sadness and frustration and, let's be honest, at times self-pity, we might struggle to remember that. And so we must ask, enlighten my eyes, God. Help me to see clearly again. Help me to see Jesus again. So that I might be sure once and for all, or at least for now, and you can remind me again later, tomorrow, that you are utterly and completely for me. No matter what the cost, you are utterly and completely for me. So that we, together with David, in the midst of trouble can say, but I trust in your unfailing love, a love that was fully displayed at the cross. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there are days when we, when we struggle, when you feel far off, when we are frustrated and perhaps even angry at you for the circumstances in our lives. 
Lord, help us to bring that to you. But we also ask that you would open our eyes, clear the scales from them, lift the veil, that we might see you clearly once again, might see Jesus, our Saviour, clearly on the cross. See his love for us. And be assured that despite our circumstances, your unfailing love remains. Lord, if there are those here who are in the turmoil that David speaks of, that you would open their eyes and that you would help us to be a comfort and a strength to them. That you would help them recognize your love, even if their circumstances do not change. So that they might profess that they trust in your unfailing love. Father, thank you for this psalm, though it is difficult. We thank you that you show us how to process the difficult times with you. We pray, uh, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.